0: Welcome along to the Go Play Soccer podcast with host Manchester United Academy coach Tom Statham. At Go Play, our aim is to bring people together from all across the world to discuss the beautiful game. Tom Statham here and today on the Go Play Soccer podcast, we're talking to two guys working in professional football with Cambridge United. And Cambridge United are currently top of League Two in England. We've got Luke Hannan, who's an attacking midfield player and Matt Walker, who is head of performance. And joining us as well is Yossi Raz, who is head coach at the University of California in Irvine. Hello. Good morning to you, Yossi. Good afternoon to everyone in England.
1: Hi, Tom. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good morning from LA. Thanks for having me, Tom. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Now we're going to start with Matt.
0: And just simply, Matt, tell us about your role as head of performance at Cambridge United.
2: Okay, so um, it's a pretty grand title, Tom, but it covers three areas, really. So um, it covers sports science and all the things that come with that, with strength, conditioning, nutrition, that type of stuff, um, analysis and medical provision. So my job is to make sure that we sort of cover that provision from our youngest age groups at under nine, all the way through to the first team but I mainly spend well, for the majority of my time is with the first team players and and with them on training and match days and then um oversee everything within the academy indirectly really managing the staff within that and the and the staff that I work with um directly day to day really so yeah it's a it's a busy job lots of different things lots of different things pop up during the week lots of things to solve um lots of placement students that type of stuff but um yeah certainly one that I've enjoyed over the last six seven
0: seasons now as it as it's evolved and you must be doing a good job because cambridge top of the league gonna get promoted
2: yeah we hope so yeah it's been a great season we've um mark took over as manager this time last year really just before we went into lockdown Had had a few games as um sort of the caretaker interim manager and then got given the job and then we literally went into lockdown the week we were due to play warsaw i think on the saturday and uh yeah, it's been great. We recruited really well. Real good people came into the building in um in the off season. Excellent squad to add to what we already had. And then um yeah, the boys have been fantastic. You can't fault them really for their resilience and persistence all the way through. It's been great. So just need to see it off now. Six to go. Nearly there.
0: And talking of you, your players, have you got any decent attacking midfielders at Cambridge well, United?
2: I need to say that. One I've um one I've known since he was a fourteen little uh little lad from Norfolk that joined us after his release from uh, Norwich so we were really keen to sign Luke into our 16s at the time and uh, yeah he's gone on he's done it the hard way but he's um, he's been great for us yeah absolutely brilliant for us
0: So Luke bring you in now what's it what's it like being part of the Cambridge United team this season doing so well and uh, tell us a bit about Matt and how he helps you prepare and perform on a match day
3: Yeah well I think Matt said that Obviously, we're doing really well this season. When Bonds took over um, towards the end of last season, just before um, the COVID situation hit, he'd he done really well. I think he he took us out from like a relegation fight and got us up into mid-table, which, which took us out of the um, situation of maybe looking at relegation. So we done really well there. And I think giving him um, a full season to work with a group of lads that he's brought in as well as... Is paid dividends, you can obviously tell by us being at the top of the league that he's done really well. He's a, he's a young, hungry manager, and um, yeah, it's just the, the lads that he's brought in as well has, has been a great credit. Everyone's really hungry, um, of all ages as well. We've got some really experienced lads and some really young lads coming through as well, and I just think that that gels really well together as a team. And um, yeah, like Matt said, there's six games to go now, and it's just getting. It's, it's hard it's hard to hide your excitement, really. you got to try and stay professional. And, you know, there's still a job to do, but there's six games to go. And for a few of us, we've probably never been in this position before. So we're just so close to getting over the line. And it's, it's just something that we, we want to get done now.
0: And what's great is there's three promotion positions in League Two as well.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, we, we're just concentrate on ourselves, really. But you always have at the back of your mind, look out for other results and teams around you. And that, um Unfortunately, we've uh, had quite a few results go our way recently as well, so it's helped create a little bit of a gap between us and fourth position. So, like you say, having three um, promotion places um, can give you that little bit of um, security if you need to, if you don't want to have to win the league. But yeah, we, we now we're in the position we're in. We we want to win the league. We've we've got six games to do that, and I got there's no reason why we can't do it with the with the squad we've got this year.
0: So you mentioned, you know, last season was was a bit more of a struggle, maybe against relegation. This year, you're riding high and and both Matt and yourself have mentioned recruitment was important there. The new manager, Mark Bonner, has been important there. But really, how important has been the head of performance, Matt Walker?
3: Well, he's he's the reason why we're there. Ah. If it wasn't for Matt, we wouldn't be there. Now, Ooh. I've known Matt for, since I was about 14, like you said, and we have a great relationship. Um, he, he's, he knows my family pretty well as well, obviously being a young lad at Cambridge. So we've got a great relationship and friendship there. And obviously that helps to have them kind of bonds on and off the field. Um, yeah, everything that Matt does is really professional. That is, sets high standards. There's no reason why a League Two team can't aspire to be like a Premier League team with how it's run, with all the STC that gets put on, the performance analysis all the diet plans, nutrition and all the, all the things that Matt puts in place for us to do is helping us get to that next level. And I think all these little things combined together is exactly why why we are where we are. And that's it, just a, a big importance within the staff. Matt's a big one to play as well. But there's all, all loads of little people, um, I say little people, but big big people in the in the staff that all combine together to, to get us where we are. We, we wouldn't be able to. Like be in the position we are as players, if it wasn't for the background staff, including Matt and Bonds and all the other people.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, that's very kind, of Luke. But I think the biggest thing is um, Mark said it really early in in the preseason time. He said he basically said, you know, that how we react to things this year is going to be the key. So we're going to have, you know, we didn't know where we were going to get change for match days. We didn't know where we were going to get. You know what it was going to look like day to day with training. You know with the COVID situation, so we've got changed. You know Luke will think of other ones, but we've got changed at Burton away in the cup. You know by a next to a bar and a burger van, and were two nil down within minutes, and then came back and won. Luke scored a wonder goal from halfway line. Um, one of the many goals of the season we've scored this year. Um, you know you get changed in social clubs, you get changed in porter cabins. You get you know. We played Gillingham in pre-season. We got changed under the stand. The gale force wind blowing in and rain. It's just, it's been that type of year that the boys have just not taken a backward step. And actually, we've just giggled about it. Really, you know, we've it's been really tough in that sense. It hasn't been a normal year for anyone. But sport has been so different this year. With changing rooms, with gyms, with you know the amount of time they haven't been able to connect with each other, but they still stayed very connected. Has been um, has been fantastic. And like Luke said. Lots of staff and lots of players have contributed to that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a really enjoyable season, not just because of the results, but that's happened as well as the those things.
1: Let's bring Yossi in from California. Yeah, th- thanks for adding me to the conversation uh, here, Tom. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a great timing to ask uh, a little bit about uh, the pressure of uh, the professional environment. Uh, and um, obviously, you guys now experience this, the, the the positive of it being on top of the league and trying to uh, um, hold that position for six more six more games, but I feel like this is maybe something that we here in the college system uh, needs to have a little bit more on a on a daily basis as an organization, as a head coach, the players. Um, what what do you feel like? Uh, how does it affect the, the environment on a daily basis in training and in, in the locker room? Obviously in match days.
2: Yeah well I think um, my background previously Yossi was um, like Luke's alluded to I was um, in academy football so I spent four or five years at Cambridge then went to Watford for a couple of seasons um, and then came back into a first team role so I can sort of see it from your point of view in that sense sort of from a development point of view where you're that was really my background not worrying about the today so much as the sort of the next month, the next six months, where we're going with this player in a year, you know, how was that gradual progression? Whereas we weren't so weren't so cut and shut about results. There was a time to teach players to, you know, as Luke became a scholar, results became, they played in a men's league at the time at Cambridge and, um, you know, results were more paramount really. They had to win, otherwise they got relegated. But um, we did things a little bit differently in those days for the academy leagues um, that we entered. So, I'd say my day-to-day is really the the training time is so limited compared, you know, over the season, we're, we're together for sort of 10 and a half, 11 months, but the boys are really on the grass for 75 minutes to nine, you know, 90 minutes is a long session in that sense together. And when you've got 20, we've, we've, our, our injury record has been really good this year. We've had a couple of catastrophic injuries with a couple of dislocated shoulders, um, but it's been really competitive, like Luke's, you know, Luke's all, you know, Luke's in a, a group of players that are pushing to start every single day. So they get judged in such a small window of time compared to the whole week in ready for performance. And then they, the ones that do play, then, you know, they're getting judged every three days at the minute. Our, our fixture schedule has been, been crazy. So you can be, you know, the hero one moment and then you make a mistake and you lose, you know, an error, you know, suddenly it's all doom and gloom. That's it. We're never going to get it. it is, it's trying to ride that roller coaster and I really feel for players in this age, there's lots of brilliant things about social media, but the access that to them of some of the abuse and stuff they they find online is is criminal, really. You know, some of the things that the boys may tell you and some of the things they don't that can affect them in in so many ways. I think that sort of, that fan engagement is brilliant on so many levels, but some of it is just uh, is just brutal. I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone really. And um, you now for for staff as well, for for managers, you know right people call them for their head after a couple of losses it's um you know you don't really get that much time I, I think time is the is the key thing if you if it's if there's the right ingredients time will will mean that you'll you'll eventually get there so i think the pressure i sort of i see every day is 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 that really it's just that judge being judged every minute that you're in the training ground every time you're on the grass every time you're on a pitch that's a that's a tough existence really you're under the microscope every all the time. Whereas if you're a 16, 17, 18 year old, everyone's talking about our uh, next month, next season, next, you, you 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 feel relaxed because you've got that bit of time and you've got that security of, you know, you've still got a bit more to go along. But first team football in my experience is uh, is brutal. I, well, this is my ninth season in first team football and Mark is the sixth manager. So that, that tells you really all you need to know in, in that sense.
0: Yeah. And, and Luke, Matt mentioned there about competition competition for places and uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing from your point of view as a player trying to keep your place or get a place in that first team?
3: Um, I think, personally, I think it's a good thing, um, especially um, at the moment with the, the formation that Bonds is playing. Um, he, he's playing a kind of a diamond in midfield and as I'm more of an out-and-out winger um, I haven't probably been suited to the role that the, the midfielders that he's got in are playing at the moment so it's obviously given me a lot more hunger and drive to keep coming in every day training as hard as I can um, waiting for that next opportunity to to get put into the team and get given that chance to to get back in and and contribute towards what our end goal is is, is to promotion but I I personally think that it is great because it's going to drive everyone on to to be as good as they can. Um, if you haven't got a competition for places, maybe sometimes players can get a bit complacent um, just just playing off merit, just knowing that they're already in the team. But I think with um, the squad that we've got, um, we've all, almost got maybe an extra two or three places outside the starting 11 for other players to come in. So people are always biting their heels to try and get into the starting 11, which is good for yourselves and for the lads that are starting because you're only going to make each other better.
0: And you also mentioned before about experienced players in the group. How important are they for the for the leadership that they show and the example that they set in the changing room?
3: Yeah, massive. I I think with what we got, I think we've got two or three um lads in the team in the team now that have played been playing professional football for maybe ten years now, I think. One being um Wes Houlihan, who's had A great career um as many of you probably might know his name um being at um, the highest level internationally and played in the Premier League with Norwich and his addition to the team has been in superb not only because I'm a, a Norwich City fan and used to go and watch him but um just the the quality that he brings to training sessions. sometimes you just stand there and you just think like how has he seen that pass or I wouldn't even I wouldn't even try that pass. And he he's just doing it so f- um frequently and so fluently in, in his games and it, it comes into games as well. And having someone like him around a team of already hungry lads and um winner mentality environment, it just drives you on to be even better. And I think um, having having people like him is massive in, in any environment and any team.
0: So Matt, with, with Mark Bonner being a young manager and a you know new to management was that a deliberate ploy on his part to to try and recruit experience to help him out and get his message across Um,
2: yeah in in some ways i mean he's experienced in lots of ways but he's been a he's been a professional coach since he was 16 he's come through an academy system and been academy manager and he's been assistant manager under the last three managers so yes he's young he's 30 i think him and russell martin are the, the youngest in the football league at 34 um but he's so experienced in so many ways of dealing with people, of dealing with problems, of knowing what he needs. And I think his sort of age doesn't, one of his strengths, one of his many strengths is his age doesn't actually become an issue. We've got assistant manager in Gary Waddock, who's managed at a real high level, played at the highest level, who, you know, they get on, you know, hand in glove, really. it's a, it's become. But they didn't know each other before the start of the season, really. they Gary's come into our group and offered something differently than we had in in terms of the coaching group. But we've got Barry core who played lots of games at this level, um, starting out on his coaching journey um as one of our development coaches, and Mark Barn, who played for um Norwich, Aston Villa Blackburn as our goalkeeping coach. So it's a it's a real good balance in the um in the coach and stuff um of their experiences really. So yes, Mark is young in that sense, but signing Wes was it was a bit of a no-brainer really. He he nearly signed last summer, but then got an, uh, an unbelievable offer to go off to Australia to play in the A-League for a year. And then th- with their season cut short and him getting, he got smashed in the tackle and had a bit of an ankle problem. I think he, he sort of felt he had a, at least one good season left in him and he's he's local here. Luke's underplayed that a little bit. He's become golf buddies with uh, Wes as well. So, they, uh, Luke's living the dream, playing golf with one of his heroes. Often though, we, we, uh, we
3: were taking too much money off people, so we had. To stop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, yeah, Wes. I mean, Wes has just been brilliant for the group. Just so calm and seen it all before. You know, nothing seemed to fluster him. We were worried that people were going to just try and kick him off the pitch, but he's just too good. We just we thought, you know, it was a bit. We, and we thought in training, you know, maybe the lads are standing off him, that want to go flying in on him. But they literally, I mean, just does things in training like Luke says that just. Take your breath away he's been uh, he's been fantastic to raise the level and everyone wants to to play at that level everyone wants to perform at that level so he just he doesn't have to make a big speech or he just is himself and then the rest looks after itself really it's been great
0: fantastic i think yossi wants to come in
1: yeah um thank you thank you for that uh so my question would be is basically because over a 10-month season um if you just results oriented and just looking at the at the, uh, at the next game i i feel like and again from my short experiences in coaching that you, you maybe miss the big pictures because there's got to be some kind of like a micro cycle of development and maintaining physical fitness uh picking in the right time which obviously matt you can share a little bit more um while you also managing the the daily routine and it sounds like like Matt is a great manager of people and he is he's, he's, he's uh, linking with people well. So so how do you mix the uh the uh the two with uh, maintaining um the right the right development in as a group in the right directions while you slowly like uh making the microcycles uh, uh great for, for for the game days on, on the weekend, uh, yeah, both technically, tactically, physically, but also like humanistically.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean. I mentioned those injuries before and we had had some difficult ones in that we've tried to manage players' minutes coming back into the group but still try and win football matches. And, um, you know, there's some real open conversations as staff about how we can do that. You know, if we can, can we get, you know, someone to an hour to 70 minutes and then bring them off, bring someone else on, we can gradually, because there's no time to get people fit in season, really, when you're playing three games in, in six, seven days. So, you have to do it on match day um, or you have to do it in small number work so you know and the, the best it's, it's been a re- that's been a real difficult balance it's a, it's a real good question I see Um. so whilst we've got an idea of what the periodized week looks like going into a Saturday Saturday week or a Saturday Tuesday Saturday actually there's 20 individuals within that who all need different things so how you top them up how much strength work you do when you can do that strength work we've tried to to split that up over a week. So the boys probably have done more lifting um, Saturday to Saturday than they've ever done, but we've spread that out in the morning sessions and then some in the afternoon. So we've broken it up a, a little bit, A, because of COVID to have less equipment to clean and touch points, but B, so there's not one big day where they feel very sore. Um, we've just built that into Monday, Tuesday, Thursday um, with a different emphasis on on the lifting program. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an ongoing spinning plates really. Um, trying to see what different players need and some can cope with more, some can cope with less. Um, it's difficult. And then the ones not in the team, you know, like Luke's alluded to really, when you're not in the team, it's, it's, it's difficult. I think we spent some time with um, one of the Cambridge university uh, sports psychologists, a guy called Mark Derond, real, real cool guy, uh, Dutch guy. And he spent times with like a uh, McLaren formula one team, um, he spent some time in some war zones with army surgeons um, and some time with the Cambridge University boat crew. And his question to them was, how would you make the boat go faster? And the biggest thing they invested in was the boat crew that wasn't the boat crew, the reserve team boat. So they wanted the boat, the reserve team boat to push as hard as they could to make the ones in the team even faster. Like Luke said about, you know, trying to make things competitive. But how have you found that, Luke? That's a good question to ask you how have you found the work how do you find the working weeks when you're in the team when you're not in the team how do you find
3: that um well like you say it's obviously been crammed into a lot of shorter season this year but i feel like it's i think it just goes on what you say like if if there's midweek games or it just depends how different people are feeling normally i'll i'll feel pretty fine like throughout the whole season because I'll, I'll do my gym work and stuff and i'll do my prehab my ankle and stuff like that so I'll, I'll i'll feel pretty well but like i said there is some people that may need like extra um rest days to recover or if they do their own thing that they find um affects them better individually then i'll go off and do that but like i say when i'm not being in the team um i, I tend to try and look after myself pretty well anyway so i'll i'll stay out and do extras or I'll do like runs just try and stay match fit because you never know when the, the gaffer might call you back in to be fit so you always want to try and stay fit but the tempo of all the training sessions this year and um, the, the lads that he's brought in has always been super high so you have never really need to do, do extra bits it's always covered in the sessions and I just think just just looking at where we are in the, in the, in the league as well I just think it's massive credit to, to everyone players and staff as well I think how we've handled everything in all the different situations and scenarios this season's thrown at us. We've managed to stay on top of everything and be professional about every situation that we've encountered. And I think it's great credit to ourselves as a club just to ride through every wave that has come our way. And like I say, six games ago we didn't finish there yet, but we've still got a lot to be proud of this season.
0: Matt, you just touched Luke there on the and the training sessions themselves. And obviously you can't be training if you've got three games in, in a seven day period. You can't be training too much, so the short, sharp, high-quality sessions are they the way to go when you when you're dealing with this sort of program of games?
3: I think so. Yeah, um, you don't need to be out on the pitch for hours on end um, if you've got games coming up. You just need to be out on the pitch, like I say. So we just do like rondo boxes, um, a warm up before that, obviously with Matt. Rondo boxes, then into small five-a-side sessions, which is all quick tempo. Um, technical stuff that um, you, you can take into a game day, which is normally an enjoyable session as well. They obviously get the banter going in the, in the rondos and stuff. So there's always a good morale around stuff. But like I say, if we've got three games in a week. Um, I think sometimes it's more beneficial to to stay off the grass and do gym-based sessions with Matt, either that's like flexibility or mobility sessions, just to keep your body fresh. You don't want to overload yourself with too much work on the grass or running. Which could affect your performance on a Saturday or on a Tuesday night. So I think that's been managed really well this year as well. As as the as the season gets close and close to the end, you've got six games to
0: go. You're top of the league. So do the do the management team, Matt, look at ways of, of trying to reduce that pressure? And if so, what strategies have you got in place to try and you know make the guys relax and and maybe yeah, make I mean, it a bit more fun? Just try to, you
2: know, if I think if. In any situation mark's got a real good saying that whether it's his or not if something's picked up along the the way but if you just be the mood you know i think that's really clear to see that's the biggest difference i've seen in the under the sixth mark being the sixth manager i've worked with um but you know if you lose on a saturday it's not a competition on a monday you know who's you know the players don't have to come in really disappointing and still sulking and still annoyed it's okay to smile on a monday after a loss and you know, it, it's just trying to manage behaviours and manage the mood and keep it as calm as possible. You know, there's, Mark's not a big shouter and, you know, ranter and raver, but he will give it to the lads if he doesn't think the intensity's there. Everything he does in training is opposed. will very, very rarely do anything unopposed, any sort of unopposed passing drills or anything like that. If it is, it's just an extension of a, of a warm-up. Everything's competitive. Every moment on the, on the grass is competitive. Um, and... Therefore, I think you just get a calmness about, you know, there's no big goals written down. There's no big list on the changer and walls. It's literally, you know, we're working towards this. this is how we're going to play up. You know, so is team meeting today. This is how we're playing tomorrow against Exeter. This is what I need from you. This is how they're going to try and hurt us. This is what we're going to hurt them. Roll on, you know, we just take each game, not worrying about points, totals, points, targets. You need to do this, you know, Luke, you need... X number of crosses in the game. He, he, he takes the pressure off the players in that sense. Just talk about, you know, we're talking all the time to the players about being the best version of themselves. And we know we've got some real good players. So if we can get the best version of them and get Luke into to trade, you know, on a match day in a calm, focused state that he's enthusiastic. I mean, he's like the energy energy bunny most days. So if we can get Luke, if you know, if Luke's coming into training with a massive flash of beautiful teeth and smiling and bouncing around the place, he's in a good mood you know it's so but everyone's different we've got a couple of lads that are real quiet real real quiet guys so just let them be them and um you know i think that's the secret to it just trying to give everything what they need and try and just calm the mood in, in certain ways or or lift it at different times i think that's a, a real skill of um of mark and gary's they've done great with that
0: so it's a bit calmer than the the john sitting approach
2: yeah yeah 100% yeah some documentary that I don't know if you've seen that Yossi but definitely a uh, documentary to see it's called Orient for a Fiver um, it's a yeah it's an incredible fly-on-the-wall documentary of 1990s-ish Tom was it 1990s? Yeah it's somewhere around there yeah. 1990s football in England where um, they got unbelievable access which they didn't realize at the time was going to turn into what it was so um, yeah crazy documentary
0: but but there's a, a, a lot of shouting, a lot of um, abuse, really. And uh, but yeah. that it's, it's good to hear that there's there's almost that thing in in those days of if you weren't upset for a week because you got beaten, then you weren't a proper pro or you you didn't care. Yeah. Whereas yeah. actually, if you're looking to perform well in the next game, coming in on Monday, being relaxed, being calm, analysing the game before, yes, but looking forward and and putting your energy into the next game is yeah. a far better a more beneficial approach than, you know, faking really uh, being upset. Exactly right. And you
2: know, there's there's so many reasons why you lose, aren't there? There's so many reasons and so many reasons why you win. So, um, yeah, I, I think having that calmness, because you've got to play 46 times, that can be emotional drain. You can take energy
3: out of you.
0: Now, uh, why don't you tell us about your journey to becoming a professional footballer?
3: Yeah, so I left Norwich um, to go to Cambridge I was there under 16s, done really well there, Um, managed to enjoy my football a lot more because then I think you touched on it saying like um, the pressure and stuff and I felt like uh, there was quite a lot of pressure on me at Norwich to to do well and stuff and that affected my performances so I I left that to um, go and join a, a new team and in a lot more relaxed environment and it allowed me to excel. And in doing so, I was um, rewarded with my scholarship a year, a year earlier than everyone else. So I was allowed to come in and train and do things with the under 18s, which is really good. Um, had the good two years there on scholarship. Um, didn't, didn't end up getting a, a, a professional deal at 18. So I was at a crossroads then. I didn't really know what to do w- with my life then. Obviously, I played went back home and played semi-professional football um, for a little bit just to try and figure out what I was going to do. Picked up a job working at Tesco's, um, worked there like five times a week, uh, just thinking like, what's next for my career? So I decided to go to university and get a sports scholarship at Northumbria University in Newcastle. And yeah, just my love for football just rebuilt itself from there, really. I was surrounded by lads that were in a similar position to myself all being released by academies um, maybe like their confidence or their love for the game had probably been dented by that but in doing so um, the manager we had there as well was um, an older chap called Derek Forrest but he's still one of my close friends now and he was like one of the lads really so he just got us all together playing and enjoying football again and in doing so we we were able to challenge like for, for the top of the Bucks League three three years in a row really so Oh yeah, And then I was fortunate enough to um, get a trial at Gateshead. Started off initially with um, a one-week trial, which most of you will know a one-week in pre-season is just running. So there was hardly any ball work involved. So I had to try and prove myself fitness-wise, which um, I thought I did really well. And then it gradually went on to a six-week trial. And um, by the end of that, uh, the the manager at the time, Neil Aspin, said look we'll give you a contract on a dual registration so I was allowed to go out on loan if I wasn't getting game time in the National League. Um, I did that with South Shields, went and played three games there, got called back, Um, I'm 22 at the time now, Uh, went back and got into the team and played the remainder of the the season under them uh, at Gateshead. Um, Neil Aspin then got the job at Port Vale on, on the, the next season in the January transfer window, he, he took me over to Port Vale, which then allowed me to play in the Football League for the first time. Um, I didn't know how well I was going to be able to cope at that level, obviously being out of the game for so long, and that, that jump into the Football League. Um, didn't know how I was going to cope with it mentally or physically, but... Um, I did. I did like myself proud. Really, I went in, done really well. Played nearly fifty games consecutive starts under him there, um, and then come and joined back up with Cambridge again, the whole family.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, Yossi, again, you'd like to come in?
3: Yeah. So,
1: so as we discussed, it sounds like um, the mental side of the game, uh, psychological side of the game, and I believe maybe Matt can help me with. The physical side of the game is what eventually separates between the the amateur the talented amateur and those that can stay consistently in a professional environment in a game but can we like maybe maybe narrow it down to few traits that that allowed uh, individuals to stay professional for a long time uh, this is something that I consistently try to educate my uh, my players here at Irvine um, I think that we have uh, some uh, amazing young talent that would like to pursue profe- uh, professional opportunities and maybe sharpening those uh, uh, thoughts and directions will help them?
2: Yeah, I think Luke's, without realising, said about seven of them during this last 43 minutes we've been on because I think i seen some real talented footballers in my time. You know, I've probably worked with, I don't know, I've probably seen over 200 scholars in that 16 to 18 age group now. And the, the ones that get through, A, work work really hard, not always the best players, but work really hard, get the very best out of themselves, do everything they possibly can. They know what they don't know, so they ask loads of help, whether that's with diet, when things are new to them, they ask for support, they ask for help, they'll stay out and do extras, and they won't quit. So Luke's, Luke's story, I, I absolutely love Luke's story, That you know, you, Came to professional football a little bit later than everyone else, but he's worked really hard to make that happen. There's no fluke that that's happened. No one's given him, you know, just a free pass into professional football. He's he could have he could still just be playing semi-pro in Norfolk, really. He he, he could be and be quite happy with that, and be you know the best player in a in a in a league that isn't good enough for his talent. But he's refused to take no for an answer. You know, I, I love that about him. And if we went through our squad. There'll be lots of players with a similar journey. You know, we've had some, we've got some players in our squad that played England youth age groups, and they were at bigger clubs than Cambridge before. But they've, you know, been released or not been offered a new contract. But they haven't quit at that point. They've just kept going. They've just been relentless in their their intensity, and they've just realised that it's one person's opinion at that point of time in your life. But there are hundreds of other football clubs, and I, I think that's the the biggest life lesson to take that you have to just be so persistent so persistent that you're gonna not take no for an answer like uh, i don't know luke being left out of a team one week he could just sit and think okay that's that's me now for the season that's the manager's opinion but the next day he's got to come in and work even harder and then shine a little bit more and work push 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 and i think if you haven't got that innate you can push who you like as a coach in the two to three hours that you see them but if that player hasn't got those winning habits you know i'd you see a lot about that, about it takes, I don't know, what's that? You see big posters everywhere, you know, different sports and environments. It takes no talent to be on time to, you know, to drink water. I think that takes a lot of talent because otherwise everyone could do it. Everyone, like these boys sacrifice pretty much everything. They sacrifice their lives for 10 months to commit to professional football. Um, they go without so many things. They miss birthday parties, weddings, all those different things to focus on what they want to achieve. and. um you know that I have huge respect for them for that because um you know there's so many that say they could have done this I could have done that or you know but there's usually a there's not many unlucky stories within that there's there's a lot of hard-working players that are professional for for 10 12 years because they've earned every moment of that
0: yeah I think my I was one of the, I was one of those players that, that could have done it as well because I had a similar story to Luke in a way because I went to university first I went to loughborough and did my yeah. PE degree and then went into professional football after university. And yeah. I found it really difficult. And culturally and physically, I found it a, a big change from, from yeah. playing university football, where we played at Loughborough, we played a lot of professional teams. We played Derby, West Brom, Lincoln, you know, we played lots of international players um, in that way. And the standard was high. But the difference between playing with your friends, I only trained once a week, played a couple of games a week. Um, and then being a professional footballer and training every day and having the pressure and the different culture, I, I didn't cope with it at all mentally and physically. And, mm. and so I just drifted away. And, and probably I went to university wanting to teach and coach more, more as well. So I, I went out of uh, playing and, and went into teaching and coaching, whereas you're right to identify the, 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 the traits that Luke shows are that that determination and, and sacrifice and hard work. You know these are all uh, qualities really that probably I didn't have at the same sort of age as Luke when he was at university and and so he's gone on to do that so yeah definitely um that needs to be celebrated yeah one hundred percent
1: yeah yeah I think i I think people I think people take for granted um, the quality of high achiever others and the same like um any other field uh, to celebrate it in sports uh, to be an high achiever especially on the days that it doesn't work your way. It's not as simple as people give it credit. And I think, um, again, coming from a university setting and um, aside of the three months that we're competing for titles, um, majority of the years for us is at developing stages uh, where we here a little bit more lucky and we can take a step back and really work on developing the individuals uh, from a football content, but also humanistically and academically. Um, I, I think developing that part of being a high achiever is, is, um, is very important because ultimately that's what they're going to be in life. It doesn't, hopefully they all turn footballers, but the reality is not going to be the case. Um, but whatever they're going to they enter, whichever field they're going to enter, if they are high achievers and they have those traits taken with them, um, I think they will be successful. Uh, it's it's funny how um, how o- almost in every conversation I, I have with different professionals, that's what eventually comes down to. And it's such a difficult um uh, concept to deliver to young players coming through the ranking. Uh, sometimes the more talented they are, the harder is it to deliver that. Uh, sometimes when we're lucky, we have the alignment between being a high achiever human being and functioning human being and also being talented. Um, I don't know, Tom probably have those in, in, in menu and those those are the ones we're watching on TV. Yeah. And one of, one of the things that annoys me quite, quite a lot when I hear
0: it quite regularly is when people say, oh, he was, he was born to play for Manchester United who was born, you know, like George Best, who was a born footballer. And you hear people say, well, you can't coach that or you can't teach that or as if they just, it would have happened no matter what George Best would have been great, no matter what, or Ryan Giggs would have been great no matter what. And that's just not true. And the people that, the people that say those sort of things show a, a lack of knowledge really, because they don't, they don't know and they haven't seen the dedication and the sacrifice and, and the resiliency and, and also the adversity as well. I think that's an ingredient that so many people have that get to the top. It's not a smooth transition from being a young kid into being a superstar. There's lots of knockbacks. And I think that's something sometimes if, if the road is too smooth that, that will prevent someone. And, and I often think that in academies, we should almost engineer some difficulty sometimes for kids and see how they react and give them some hard times and give them some challenges. How do you feel about that, Matt?
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think
0: I think it, it sort of
2: belittles people's achievements a bit. But there's a good line in um, the book Atomic Habits where it says like uh, everyone has the same goals as an Olympic champion or a you know world class athlete. You know, loads of kids grow up saying, I want to play professional football. But it's the process of getting there, I think, that separates people. And I think, you know, if we look at adversity, I, I mentioned it earlier, Luke having a, a really bad ankle injury in lockdown you know we couldn't Mikey our physio had to do everything with Luke by zoom you know teach him lots of different things like it was, it was really impossible Luke could have you know that wasn't a smooth time you know he can't jump online with Luke and he lose his head because he was getting frustrated and he wasn't getting any manual help and it was a really frustrating time but he's come back he's worked really hard and he 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 did it you know he he, he came through that that adverse thing but there were loads of bumps in the road like that for Luke. He could have quit football at 14, 15 after it didn't work out at Norwich, but he refused to quit. There's loads of similar traits in his journey where he just said, no, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going, thanks. You know, there's there's loads of ways. I think that's that's definitely you could sit down every one of our players or the players that you've that you meet along the way that they would have that. Yeah, I mean you've worked with some of the top names in world football, Tom. And, and they'll have similar traits. It's the bits that people don't see. It's the bit, you
0: know. Yeah, and, I, and wanna, hard, I was but. having this I was having this conversation yesterday as well, and I've it quite a lot. Is that when you look at the different qualities of of young players, especially, is that physicality seems to be overvalued hugely. Mm-hmm. So you you get a kid who's who's big and strong and fast, and and everyone will go crazy about this kid but maybe some of his personal traits, his work ethic or his game intelligence or his love of the game or desire to work hard aren't so great, but they're they're sort of undervalued. So I think you get, and then you get the kid on the other end that that just loves the game, watches it constantly, knows lots about it, makes great decisions and and just lives for football, but possibly is a little bit small at the time and struggles, then they get undervalued. And I really think that that that's something I say quite regularly. The people that know me is is that 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 physicality. People can get um, really carried away with with someone that's got great physical skills or even great technical skills, but it, ultimately it's the qualities that that Luke shown and that the great players shown that that will get you through.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's funny how uh, football became to be so difficult at the highest level. You almost needs to have all of the above. You gotta be able to hold the humanistic traits to play the highest level and cope with the pressure, the media, the setbacks. Uh, and in order to play for, you know, the really elite of football nowadays, you probably have to be physically gifted, a little different than the rest, as well as technically, tactically aware and a little bit more gifted than the rest. It's become to be such a difficult profession to to reach the the pinnacle, the, the highest level. Uh, I think I read in one of the... Uh, one of the uh, recent studies of FIFA that like uh, only about 24 percent or so of, of footballers in the world can can make a living of it. Uh, a really true uh, income and salaries and, and make the, the pinnacle of, of, of football. It's become to be very, very difficult. So people got to give credit for those that are able to reach it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd just like to go back to to something Matt mentioned earlier about how in the training at Cambridge United, it's competitive and uh, challenging all the time and and you do very little unopposed. And for a player, Luke, how do you feel about that and and having a more game-based approach to training rather than a drill-based approach to training?
3: Um, well, I think it's very effective to have more um, game-based situations because it's easier to relate to them and um, compare that to game situations on a Saturday or on a, on a Tuesday night. Um, if you're doing drill situations, yeah, that's good because it's, everyone needs to work on technique or um, passing ability or whatever the drill is. But when you're in a, in a game situation or a game-based drill, you have to picture things that you might do on a game day, so like say if you saw someone running off the ball to receive it, that you could compare that to a game situation or it's basically the environment that you're training in or Bonds is creating in in training and Gary is as well. They'll all relate to how we want to play on a game day um, or how the other team plays as well. So we're always learning about um, how other teams are playing or how we can become better as a team in, in them situations and I think Personally, it does benefit me more having, having them kind of um, training sessions.
0: And as a coach, I really try and, and get competition. And I'm working with younger kids, but getting competition all the time into practice. And yesterday uh, in the afternoon, we had uh, the the nines and tens at United. And so we did a Champions League. And, and so we put the kids into the, the, the eight teams. We had five asides, the eight teams that are in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. And at the start, all eight teams, the kids are shouting and screaming and we've got the four games going on and we, we had two legs. It was 10 minutes. you know. So Manchester <laughs> City played against Dortmund on one pitch and that was the first leg. And then we played the second leg and away goals counted. And so all four games were really intense to start off with. But then obviously four teams qualified for the for the quarter, for the semifinals and the other four teams that lost went into the Europa League semifinals. And then... There was a massive difference in the competitive levels in the in the Champions League semi-finals, and then at the end, the the Champions League final, the kids were going berserk, and actually, all the other kids were were wanting to play their games at the beginning, but after a couple of minutes, they wanted to stop playing and they wanted to watch the Champions League final because it was so competitive, and that that really showed me that that element of competition, when it's there, it really inspires kids and adults to play, and as soon as it's taken out. Then he, the standards drop a lot and uh so competition in practice is a, is a key element for raising standards yeah i'd agree i'd agree i think that appeals to their
2: that's what they love doing the time isn't it that's what adults like doing that's what that's who they are they like competing they'll i mean they'll compete over a tech ball tournament they'll compete over a you know when we're allowed darts table tennis they all get a bit heated you know you see some holes punctured in our little prefab walls where someone's lost on the last point of table tennis you know it's just that's who they are as human beings they love competing so why would you why would you not give that to them in the right way every moment you possibly can to experience because then match day becomes so much easier so much easier
0: just to let you know that the the champions league was won by porto they beat psg in the in the final (laughs) right and i know luke mentioned earlier love of the game and that's something that i'm really conscious of as well and it's something that's right at the forefront it's a priority for me working with kids is that love of the game and matt and i we worked together several years ago for the independent schools fa and we worked with a a gentleman called richie williams who is a legend of football um he's in his 70s now and he's someone whose football knowledge is incredible his experience is is unbelievable he played he played professionally, but he, he was the assistant manager and reserve team manager at Derby County. He was youth team coach at Derby and at Aston Villa. And he's someone that that just nurtures um, players and, and he nurtures that love of the game. And uh, he's just a fantastic character. So come on, Matt, give us some stories about Richie and how he's influenced you. I've got two good
2: memories of, of working with Richie, really my sort of clearest one. One... He, um, real early on, we were talking in our, you know, I don't know, having a cup of tea or whatever, and um, he told me Gary Rowett was going to be an, an outstanding manager, this before he got the Burton job, an outstanding manager, and he was going to manage at least in the championship. He just said, I'll just, everything I see about him tells me he's going to be successful. So that always stuck with me as soon as Gary Rowett got the Burton job and has gone on to great things in the game. And then um, he was brilliant for little, little things for kids to remember he would coach in a way that kids it would stick with. And um, he set such high standards of that. And where he picked them up, he said things like, um, you know, if you're centre forward, um, eyes lift, you shift. So he'd talk about centre, midf- you know, centre midfielders playing for a runner. He'd talk about um, defenders. If you're on the well, you're on the outside looking back at the goal. So if you're outside looking in on danger, you're in the wrong place. If you're inside looking out at danger with your goal behind you, you're in a great place, and you could see kids just suddenly thinking, "I understand about my defending position." He didn't fall, he didn't complicate things. He had all this advanced coaching knowledge, but he could talk to 14-year-olds, and in you know, in one, one sentence, they one, would of the,
0: one of the ones that one of the ones that I remember from him, there was a, a a lad picked the ball up in the inside right channel and was going running with the ball, and he just shouted at him, "Don't turn back!" And it was just so simple that. If, you, if your kid heard that, don't turn back. It just means go for goal all the time. And yeah. I think that the simplicity of that, but what Richie was and, and still is brilliant at is just making everyone feel fantastic. Yeah. And whenever you, the, the kids he played with, it, everything was brilliant. Everything he did was brilliant. Everything was wonderful. And he's just a person that, that made everyone feel great. Um, But one thing that he wasn't very good at, Matt, was names. And so <laughs> one of the things... One of the things that we still do to this day is that whenever we, we see each other or text each other is we always get purposely get each other's names wrong. Um so you'll call me Tim or Trevor and I'll call you Mark or Mike because Richie, Richie was terrible. i know Richie sorry. I spent
2: about an hour with him and he called me Mark Malcolm and I didn't want to correct him because he's like such a legend. And I thought he's gonna feel really offended if I point this out. So I just kept saying, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine, Richie." Yeah, and then
0: <laughs> as, as I went, he said, "Take care, Malcolm. Lovely
3: fella,
0: it, <laughs> lovely." Fella. <laughs> and and the other thing about Rich was that he, he referred to himself in the third person all the time. Yeah, right now do this for Richie, and Richie wants to do <laughs> this. And then, but the, the classic, the, the the best one where he got he got the name wrong was uh, I got my a uh, phone call. I got a voicemail. I answered my voicemail. And it was him. And he actually started the voicemail by saying, Hi, Richie, it's Tom here. Which <laughs> was fantastic. You don't get better than that. He actually got his own name wrong and my name wrong as well. But well, he, he is amazing. And, and I, I, I used to still involve him with the American teams that come over just to be around people. You know, people come from America on a football tour. Richie's just there to make them feel great. And he'd referee some games. And there's one I remember we would refereed a girls game and at the end of the game, the girls were just hugging him, and and all because he all through the game he'd hardly he'd hardly blown his whistle, but he just constantly praised every girl all the time, and it just made them feel great. Um, and then the classic one for me was I was in the pub with him, and he was uh, we were having a drink with one of the one of the American mums, and she was telling us about her her marriage, and basically she just remarried, and, and the guy was called Randy. So obviously that was a few giggles. And then her first husband was called Randy as well, but they were best friends and it was getting very complicated, this story, and we couldn't tell which Randy was which. So we ended up, we said, well, look, first there's Randy one, and then your second husband's Randy two. So she kept going through this story. And right at the end of the story, Richie had not said a word, and he just at the perfect moment said, could I be Randy three? And it was just amazing.
3: He's amazing.
0: What a guy! But I, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, couldn't have this conversation without celebrating Richie Williams and all. If people out there know Richie, then then you know what we mean. And, and he's he's been such a fantastic figure with me and and obviously with Matt and everyone that he comes across. And uh, you know, I hope he's well. And uh, you know, we just like to pay tribute to him. But Yossi, anything else? Anything else you'd like to say to Matt? Anything else you'd like to say to Luke?
1: Yeah. First of all, again, pleasure to uh, be in the same podcast with you guys. I, I, I enjoyed the chat very much. It, it's easy to see that uh, that the culture in in England, the culture for football, is rooted in the in the community so well. Uh, something that we in in America, the people that uh, participate in football, uh, try to do really uh, try to increase really uh, hard on a daily basis to make sure that this become to be the norm in America. So. You know, credit to you guys for for everything that you guys uh, do. I have a million other questions, and uh, this this podcast can go much longer if I'm gonna keep asking. But I, I appreciate, and best of luck to you guys in the next six games, and uh, you guys earn yourself a, a, a fan uh, for Cambridge in uh, in Los Angeles.
0: Guys, thanks Cheers. very much. Thanks for your time, Matt. Thanks for your time, Luke. You yep. know, and, and like Yossi said, we'll we'll all be cheering for you, and let's see Cambridge United in League One next season. Uh, Thanks very much, everyone. And we'll see you next time on the Go Play Soccer podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you have a question or comment for us, or if you'd like to take part in one of our podcasts, please
2: email podcast at goplaysoccer.com.